welcome back, everyone, to the Rail Lovers podcast. And I, I, I really hope everyone enjoyed like that bonus episode that we did, where we covered the entire series of Ted Lasso. But we're back on our train, where we're covering all the movies in the Letterbox Top 250. And joining me today, I, I'm just going to introduce him like right away. He's a really great friend, and it, also it's his birthday today. He just it randomly is. said when we, he got on this call, <laughs> Neff. Co-host of, of the One with the Films podcast, Neff. Happy birthday and welcome Thank you. to the Real Lovers podcast. So, it's a pleasure how, to how be here. Today? I'm good. Uh, it's 11 a.m. my time, so I woke up about an hour ago, uh, and I had breakfast, and I went through the birthday messages, and now I'm here. Um, and so, like, I don't think the day gets much better than that. It, it doesn't get much better, especially since we're talking about the next film in the, in the Letterboxd series that we're doing, and that film is... My favorite film and your favorite film as well, and that is the 2017 Pixar animated classic, Coco. It uh, is, without a doubt, um, my favorite Pixar film. Like, they just, yeah, like nothing, nothing compares. Nothing holds a candle to this film. Yeah, I, I've rewatched this film only twice, and when I when I rewatched it for this podcast, I realized why I haven't rewatched it more times, just because. I was just a complete mess after after <laughs> after watching this. It does mess a you mess up. In a good way. Yeah, uh, a mess in a good way. But before we get into that, I always like to get into a little segment that we call that I like to call what we've been watching. Yeah. And uh, so let's Ooh, that's uh, cool. let's get. Uh, so Neff, since you're since you're the birthday boy, <laughs> let's go. Let's let let's kick off with you first. What have you been watching recently? So, um, I came up with a challenge for myself that I failed, but I got really close to. Um, it was about a month ago that I looked at my letterbox and I was like, I've seen 72 films and my birthday's in 28 days. Like, can I do 100 films before my birthday? Because last year I watched and I logged 89 films in letterbox and I was really proud of that. I was like, man, that's crazy. And then I realized that I've done that, if not more, um, this year. And I have, I've, you know, well exceeded that. As of last night, um, I locked in 94 films before my birthday. So six films off. Uh, I'm going to go see Flash tonight, so that'll make 95. Um, but yeah, so I've been watching a lot of stuff. The most recently, um, I'll go through my most recent activity. I, I watched The Woman King yesterday, which mm. was like everything I wanted Black Panther to be. I remember watching Black Panther and leaving going, oh, that was all right. This, this is cool. And then I was watching this film and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was badass. Uh, I loved it. Um, I also rewatched Coco. Um, I got to see The Little Mermaid. I've watched the Matrix films for the first time. Um, well, sort for of the first, first time. time. <laughs> yeah, like I know of them through like pop culture osmosis, you know. And um, I had seen number one all the way through, but like didn't pay heaps of attention to it. And then two and three, I had just never really touched because everybody said they suck. So. I've finally been getting through those again, um, which is great. I loved Matrix 1. That is a masterpiece by all definitions of the word. Like, that is as close to a perfect film and sci-fi film as it comes. Um, and then I got to watch The Matrix Reloaded, which was also really good. Like, better than I expected it to be. That that action sequence in The Matrix Reloaded on the freeway is, like, Dude. no spoilers. But <laughs> No spoilers for a 20-year-old film. Yeah, true, but, but it's. I remember sitting in the theater watching that action sequence, just like 
having it come into my eyeballs, it was like absolutely incredible. Yeah, um, it's mental. And even seeing how they, I think they filmed that in Australia, but they like made a whole like fake uh, highway so that they could do it. It's like, it's impressive. Um, yeah, so I've been trying to get through those hundred films and I got really close. Um, as we go back, I saw The Departed for the first time. So we watched that for one with the films this week. Um, mm-hmm. We had my two credits, shout out to him, um, bring on Infernal Affairs and The Departed. And we did like a double feature back to back, which was really cool. It's a great episode, by the way. Thank I you. To go check that yeah. out. So. <laughs> um, yeah, like we love doing what we do. Um, it's great. And then uh, I'll, I guess for your guests, like what we do on one with the films is um, the whole purpose behind it is to I guess rather than um, like circle jerk the film bro movies and be like yes did you know this happened in Pulp Fiction we're like we want to just introduce each other and other people to new things so we invite guests that we've met through TikTok you're actually going to be on the podcast in a few weeks time as well I'm really excited for your episode um, but we invite guests and friends that we've got from TikTok and me and my co-host Movie Man Opinions um, we just show each other films that the other person hasn't seen before and then we sit and talk about it for a little while um and we've been able to we're on our 26th episode um so we've watched about 20 new films through that that neither of us had ever seen before and some wild stuff like yeah if you are struggling to figure out what you should watch next definitely check out one with the films because it's going to give you a lot of recommendations for, for 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 sure, I told I would told I totally recommend one of the films. Like, like you guys are doing really great work over there, and just like just I love podcasts, especially not trying to toot our own horns, right? But like what we do here at the Real Lovers Podcast, it's like like I when I was looking at the top two fifty, I realized how many films on that list that I didn't watch yeah. because I didn't go to film school, and so I just decided to like make it like a challenge for myself. Yeah, and. And just kind of like, and basically just go through the entire list, start from 250 and go all the way to one. And the, like one What thing number is Coco? Coco, here's the thing about Coco uh, that made, it kind of made me sad a little bit, is that it's not no longer on the list anymore. <gasps> it's a, it's a 4.2 average on Letterboxd right yep. now. I'm changing that because I made it, rated it of five stars again. So, yeah, same. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it'll come back in the list. But uh yeah, that's like that's kind of like the one issue that I'm having like with the series. But I feel like once they're in the list, like they're still there. Yeah. It, 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 so uh, <coughs> I'm just excited to talk about Coca again. Like that, that's the thing. So yeah, I mean, I was writing my review for it for Letterbox yesterday, and I was really unpacking a lot of my feelings for the film. That like it was a very um, unique experience for me going and watching this in the theater because I remember seeing the trailers for it and going, that's really cool. And I come from a Latin American family. I'm not necessarily Mexican, but um, because of the kind of Latin American that I am, it was really difficult for people in Australia to kind of know what that was. So when I tell people that my family's from El Salvador, they would be like, what is that? So I just be like, ah, I'm Mexican. So <laughs> somehow <laughs> I had aligned with Mexican for such a long part of my life that, uh, I don't know, like... For me, when I saw this, I was like, oh, that's my family. Uh, and obviously a lot of the culture is very similar because when you look at El Salvador, it's Central America, which is literally like directly above, well, mm-hmm. yeah, directly above or directly below Mexico. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's, um, still, it, it's in the same region. Yeah, roughly, they're like, roughly, they, they're like roughly, sister so. countries. <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. One just makes significantly better cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, what? Redacted? Redacted? <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but go back to like what you've been watching. That's pretty much that's pretty much it. Like, um, yeah, good. I've been trying to get through. Um, like we said, those those hundred films, and I could go through the list of hundred films that I've watched this year. But recently, it's those few. Um, mm-hmm. I started getting through some of the old. Oh, I can't remember his name. Um, the guy who did uh, Breakfast Club. Oh. Um... John, is it John Hughes? John Hughes, yeah. Hughes? So yeah. I was recommended a bunch of his films, uh, which was great. Um, and so I got to Breakfast Club for the first time, which I'd never seen before. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so a lot of the films that I've been checking out over the last few months have been things that I'd, I've never seen. Um, I got to watch all of the Oscar-nominated live-action and animated shorts in theaters this mm-hmm. year as well, which was really cool. Um, and I can recommend most of those. My Year of Dicks, fantastic. And The Ice Merchants, that should have won Incredible. the Oscar. Incredible absolutely incredible like my year of dicks like a film that i would never have imagined like based on the title alone i wouldn't have like enjoyed just because it's like it's such an out there title but it's beautifully animated yeah like yeah i i I loved it so it's uh uh, it played last in the theaters and he was like if you have kids under the age of 18 you need to leave now yeah exactly i was like yeah yeah i get it (laughs) right Uh, um yeah but but that's that's kind of it um i finished barry um, which was brilliant. Uh, no, no, no spoilers. I won't spoil I, I anything. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't gotten to the I, end I, of Succession just yet. Um, I'm working up the courage to dive into that and finish that off. Um, and finish Ted Lasso, obviously. What you, okay, since I just did a bonus episode on that, I have to ask your thoughts on just like... Because I hear a lot of mixed things about that, about that finale. Yeah. So. I I don't think I loved the finale. I liked it. Um, mm-hmm. but to me, it just felt like I was explaining to my little brother. I was saying that if you'd asked me at the start of the series, what do I think is going to happen in the finale? I reckon I could have given it to you beat for beat. <laughs> and so I kind of, I wanted to be, uh, like, you know, shocked, uh, taken away, like bowling my eyes out. But I was just kind of like, no, it's nice. It's not bad. It's just kind of, I wish that they tried to push the envelope a little bit more. That's all. It's it's like you what you expected. Yeah, exactly. And so that doesn't make it like bad, you, you know. Like it's it's fine. It's just um yeah, I would have liked a little bit I, more. It's what I expected too, and I stated this on the previous episode. But it's it it, it felt like the writers throughout the season wanted to explore so many more like storylines, like explore like Sam's storyline, explore like Nate's storyline, but. Jason Sudeikis has gone on record multiple times saying that this is a three-season like show. Yeah, because it, it takes a lot out of him because he has to shoot in London and like he's away from his family. Yeah, and, like he just wanted to like he just wanted to like see his family again. He's living the so Ted Lasso like, life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I I see it as like the writers were trying to basically like they kind of like they threw everything against the wall for season three and they were like, Oh crap, we got to wrap all this up mm. it's, uh, somehow. And so, but sort of leave it open for spinoffs. It's, it's like, it, the, the whole thing is kind of like messy, especially with like the writer strike going on. Like yeah. Apple TV, like posted like, Oh, uh, posted like an image of Nate Roy and, and uh beard, like all standing together, like, Oh, new era. And I'm like, is that a new season or are you just <laughs> like being cheeky or something like that? It's just yeah. like, I was it's, really, it's all um, weird. I was really, uh, like taken aback by Nate's story. That did not go the way I expected it to go. Um, just in general. Um, 
I thought that his story arc in season three was was really good, uh, really well done. And of course, Jamie. I thought it was interesting that a lot of stuff was handled off screen. Like, uh, obviously, end of season two, we had Rebecca and Sam, and they come back and nothing's there. And then at the end of season two, you've also got Roy and Keely, and you come back and they're not together anymore. And it's like, what? I mean, I get it. It all makes sense. But, like, I would have liked to see what those conversations looked like. Like, the show does a phenomenal job of having these brilliant interactions between its main cast that, like, I feel robbed that I didn't get to see that. Yeah, and the one thing I didn't really care, like, to kind of, like, tack on what you said about Nate is that when Nate just, like, spoilers for Ted Lasso, (laughs) I guess, when when Nate just, uh, like, quit his job, like, halfway halfway through the season, Mm. like, it starts with, like, I think it was, like, episode seven starts with that. I was so, like, uh, I, I was kind of, like, Okay, I I guess we're going here. I thought there was going to be like some sort of wrap up like there, except instead of you just kind of like I'm done here. And yeah. It's kind of like it kind of it kind of threw me off a little bit, but I don't it, know. Yeah, I it like seems it... like. And what I've found with TV recently is that um, showrunners are really loving the four season um, like run, and it feels almost like they tried to cram two seasons into one just to finish it in three seasons, mm-hmm. um, which you know. I mean, sometimes that works. I talk about Majora's Mask all the time, where I'm like, that was going to be a seven-day cycle, and they crammed it all into three days, and now it's one of the most content-heavy games of all time. But in TV, it's a little bit different, you know, because you can't really take it at your own pace. You've got 12 episodes. You've got to figure it out. Exactly, exactly. But, um, yeah, uh, uh, but that's all you've been watching. Um, And... uh, yeah. I'm sad that you didn't make it to 100 films by your birthday, but you're six away. You're pretty close. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's halfway through the year. If I can do 200 by this year, like, ending, then I'll I'll be happy with that. I think think you'll get to 200. Yeah, and my goal is, because there is still a lot of stuff that I haven't quite, um, like, got to yet. And so the goal, I think, is over the next six months or... Yeah, um, I'm going to try and set like a theme for each month and go, I want to get through all of the old samurai films. I want to get through all the old Western films. I want to get through all the Hitchcock films and kind of work through it in stages so I can really start ticking off some of those classics that I should love considering I, you know, tell people I'm a film buff and a film nerd and I haven't, I've seen one Hitchcock film. So don't at me. (laughs) Yeah, but here's the thing about that. It's like, I, it's, I, I don't think that there should be like, if you love film, then you love film. Yeah. Like there shouldn't be like a number of film, number of certain types of films that y- you should see before you become like a real lover. I guess yeah. I, I can use that. So it's just like cheeky. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I just don't like like any of like that discourse like online when people are like, "Oh, you haven't seen that film." That, yeah. And, and kind of like putting people down, like. I like one of like one of my mutuals like on Twitter. They always said like you never shame anyone, mm. but you never shame anyone for not watching a film you recommend it. Yeah. Like, oh, you haven't seen this? Like, you should check this one out. I th- you, since you like this film, I think you would like this one. So it's like that's interesting. Yeah. Instead of yeah, um, but yeah, uh, I haven't really been watching much this week. But uh, I. I've only been watching like four films, but I guess I'll start with like kind of like the bad and then go into the good. Yeah, hit me. Uh, I'll um, like I, I saw White Man Can't Jump, the new one. The Jack, Ho- yeah, the new one. Uh, I've heard mixed things. Uh, okay, here's the thing. I think 
I, I liked it a little bit more than everyone else, uh, like, at least w- within my circle. Mm. Uh, I thought it was relatively funny. I thought Jack Harlow did the, like... Was He's good a charismatic guy. He's very charismatic, and he is, like, his comedic moments are really great. And if you've, like, seen, like, his SNL, like, bits, like, if just look up... Look up his SNL like hosting gig and just like look at all the sketches yeah. that he did like on U- on YouTube. They're they're really great. The dramatic parts, not the greatest. <laughs> like it really like he's not. I know he's like trying to like break into like acting and kind of like uh, he's doing like what typical rappers do nowadays, like ludicrous kind of just making that transition from from the music side into. In, into acting mm. and this is his first first film since that and uh, with that and it's not really like it like he he has some work to do oh that's all i have to say yeah like I, have, have you watched I the show like, dave okay uh i have not watched Dave. that's been <laughs> one of my surprise favorites um and he was featured on some episodes uh most recently oh, they, really? were, they were like the met gala or something like that and he was he was pretty good in that again it's not really dramatic it's more like it's comedic it is comedic he's like because it's it's a it's a fictionalized version of like little dicky's story Mm -hmm. and um yeah he just kind of uh what's the word uh he gets compared to jack harlow a lot and so they have like a beef uh and it's it's funny (laughs) oh that's that's funny yeah (laughs) i'll have to check it out it's just all i've heard about dave is that it's like it's like the the white Atlanta. Yeah, I, I was going to say like that. It's Atlanta for white people. Yeah, which I already like Atlanta. I don't yeah. really need like another one of those shows, so I just never it is. it out. But... I think when they say Atlanta for white people, it's like, um, it's a lot... Well, I suppose grounded isn't the right word because Atlanta is kind of like fantastical in some episodes. But um, like, it's silly. It's like dorky. Mm-hmm. It's like dorky comedy. Where Atlanta is... Yeah, I suppose like I don't know. They are they are similar. <laughs> they are similar. Yeah. It's like less Atlanta for white people and Atlanta with a white protagonist. So um, yeah. that makes it better or worse. Uh, but it's just different. Uh, and there's something really poignant about I am making jokes about my dick for half an hour every week for three years, <laughs> but somehow I'm gonna make you cry and I'm gonna call you out in some of your what's the word. Like, I feel very called out by the show, because uh, <laughs> um, uh, Lil Dicky's character has ADHD, um, and, like, this is a big thing that he's constantly, like, trying to figure stuff out, nothing makes sense, and I've always just been like, I relate to this guy so much, it's so crazy. And then literally, last night, I was diagnosed with ADHD, and I was like, God damn it! <laughs> damn it! So, best birthday present uh, ever. Right? <laughs> It just just finding out more about yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the show is, um, especially the last few episodes, um, like I was just sitting there going, like, my god, like this is this is me, dude. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Except I'm not famous, but yeah, it's a surprisingly deep and poignant show. And particularly as you get to the end of each season, each season starts kind of silly, and you're like, where's this going? And by the end, mm-hmm. you're like, shit, like wild. Yeah, I'll, I'll 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 have to check it out. But white man can't jump. Like I feel like it's just fine. Like yeah. I don't think like all the people out there that are saying like this is the worst thing ever. Like ever, go watch the like the nineteen ninety version. 
uh, with Woody Harrelson. Like I haven't seen that version in years. Same. I, I'm I'm gonna do a rewatch in like probably next week or something like that. Cool. Uh, but it, the cinematography in this film, like it's really great, and like the way it represents like L.A. in like a new and unique way, I mm-hmm. thought was really refreshing. And like I felt like all the like the the like the race relations that was loved by like like the first film like it's basically like breaking down like those barriers between like black culture and white culture i feel like it tries to like i feel like it tries to do that in in this remake uh i'll I'll have to like judge like how like the 1990 version like when i rewatch that but i feel like it does it fairly well like for this remake and i had a i had a really good time it was it's 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 totally forgettable but i'm not i'm not like sad that or mad that you that watched, I watched it. Yeah. This. Yeah. Um, I was thinking on your previous point that you mentioned about it just being fine and people talking about how like it's garbage, and I think that that's mm-hmm. a very common thing, particularly in, particularly in like the TikTok discourse where something like it has to be the best or it has to be the worst, and they're not okay mm-hmm. with just films that are just okay. And it's like I watched The Little Mermaid recently, and mm-hmm. it was fine. I didn't love it to be honest, um, but I'm not mad that I watched it. Like it was yeah. fine. <laughs> um, I got to see it in the theaters. It's pretty. Um, all of uh, Ariel, Ariel and all her sisters are baddies. It was wonderful seeing them on screen. <laughs> My God, King Trident has some jam. elite man juice. I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> just like he, he's able to just spit out every single race, just every single race. I, I don't like... know. Apparently, there's some kind of like lore in there as well that it's got something to do with like he goes to an area of the planet and like I don't know, like mates with the local flower and births out of per- I have no idea. Somebody's saying something about this. Hello, cat. But I, I need to, like, I, I need, like, this fan fiction just, like, out there. <laughs> like, yeah, that, it needs to exist. Yeah, it needs to exist. But, um, um, but, yeah, long story short, it is okay for films to be fine. You know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, like, can we just go back to saying films are fine instead of, like, oh, it's mid? Oh, man, I hate like, mid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so mid. This movie's so mid. I'm like, it's it. That's TikTok culture right there. Yeah, like exactly TikTok culture, where it's like it's either the greatest thing or like the worst thing ever, or it's mid. And it's just like, yeah. I'm sorry if you start hearing some purring through the microphone. My cat's decided to come and hang out. That's adorable. That's adorable. (laughs) That's adding to the podcast. This is her butt. uh, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, white men can jump. You can stream it now on Hulu. if you have a Hulu subscription, it's 90 minutes. Give it a shot. Um, huh, nice. The next one, the next one uh, that was, I'll, it, it, I'll say again, it was just fine and had a really good time with it, is Transformers Rise of the Beasts. I'm pumped uh, for that. It doesn't come out until August. Are you serious? Yeah. Actually, <laughs> like, no, no, not that's... August. Uh, July. Like, early okay. July it comes out here. And I'm like, it's... Well, next month. Yeah. So. It's, yeah, frustrating. I was literally going to plan to go and see it, like, today on my day off, and then I went to look for tickets, and it's like, nope. I'm like, okay, fuck me, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, can we yeah, swear on Real Lovers? Yeah, you can swear. Just okay, swear. cool. <laughs> fuck, fuck me, yeah, I you guess. Can swear. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Transformers Rise of the Beast, uh, it's coming off of, like, the success of Bumblebee. It's basically a prequel to that film, and it's starting, like, this new prequel elegy or whatever it's like it's not has nothing to do related to like the michael bay transformers but it's like starting this new trilogy yeah i was kind of confused by the the timeline for it because like the originals you've got one to like is it the last 
um, The Last Night. Is that all one series, like five, six films? Yeah, it, that's all. That's all one series. Yeah, so and then the we go to Bumblebee, news... which is like a soft reboot, mm-hmm. and this takes place after Bumblebee. Yeah, uh, it this takes place before Bumblebee. Oh, because it pl- takes place in 1990, like or, kind of like right around that same era. Uh, uh, I think it's like wasn't maybe Bumblebee six... like 80s? Um, I thought it was night. I thought it was like the 90s, wasn't it? Um, I'm not sure. I'm pretty... I don't remember. I did really yeah, like that. Though. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Bumblebee was really great. It was one of my favorite f- favorite films when it came out that year. Uh, Rise Another of the Steelbook. Beast. It... Oh, nice. This nice. one came with a comic <laughs> as well. There's a comic in here. That, ah, that's awesome. I lost the comic. Um, but uh, Rise of the Beast is like, like I'll, I'll just say it again. Like it, It's fine. It, yeah. it, it, but the thing about Rise of the Beast is that I don't really remember anything about it. Like there, the, there's stuff that happens, and it, immediately when I walked out, I totally forgot like everything, <laughs> and I'm just like, that doesn't bode well for like, like them trying to like reboot this series. Like mm-hmm. I, I thought that um, Anthony Ramos did a really great job, but every single time he was on screen, I expect I expected him to like, like belt out like a, like a like a, a Lin Manuel Miranda song, yeah. like, which probably would have added to my experience of watching Transformers Rise of the Beast. But... I, I think that there's something interesting to be said about those Transformers films because, like, it seems like they don't have the confidence to just do a full-on robot film. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. all all of us want. Like, if they just did, like, a war on Cybertron film, mm-hmm. I would love it, you know? And just, like, dive into You don't have to film anything. Like, if anything, just make it almost like a, a, a highly produced animated film, essentially. The entire thing is CG. Think, like, Avatar. Um mm-hmm. I reckon that would just pop off because it's always like the human aspect of the Transformers films is always like the worst part. Yeah, it, um, like, they're but, like America like the, military. Like we, that's the part that's like, why are you like this? Well, the, like the human aspect in like this film and even Bumblebee, I feel like it's a little bit stronger just mm. because Bumblebee was kind of like a I did boy like and it his in dog. Bumblebee. Yeah, like it was like a boy and his dog like type of story where it's like Haley Steinfeld like just like stumbles on like. And uh, on Bumblebee, and they kind of like grow like this relationship, which is like way better than the Shia LaBeouf kind of like, yeah, basically, the, his dad buying him <laughs> Bumblebee, and then he's being Bumblebee's being forced upon like this relationship. Yeah, like it. Haley Steinfeld, it was more like it was more organic. Like here, it's it's a little it's it's a little bit more organic, but the way <laughs> I don't really want to give too much away since you haven't seen it, but it it feels. It, it feels a little bit wasted. I feel mm-hmm. like Anthony Ramos is a little is a little bit uh, wasted, like in like this film, which is disappointing because I want him to succeed. I don't yeah. want him to just do musicals like the entire time. Which I, I love him in like those movies, but just like I want him to expand and like do other stuff. But um, it like Transformers: Rise of the Beast, like it's fine. But uh, let's yeah, move I on. I had to... a, a bunch of friends that went and saw it. Most of them spoke pretty highly of it. They said at least that it was it was fun. They had a good time with it. So I'm I'm pretty mm-hmm. keen to see it. Yeah, uh, but uh, moving on to like the two films that were really great uh, is Sanctuary. I've seen. Uh, I, Sanctuary... I don't even know what it's showing here. Like I've been looking for it since I heard about it. I was like, "This is a film for me. I want to watch it." And then I saw your review, and I was like, "Damn it! I have no idea. I don't think it's going to come out here. I might have to like, r. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much about it. Like if you've seen it, it's basically. I'll just say it's like a dominatrix like film. Pumped. Where it's I'm sold. Just like I like just 
and it's a dominatrix film with uh oh shoot christopher abbott and uh what's the girl's name shoot um, sexy yeah <laughs> she she is very good looking in this but the thing that i loved so much about this is that it there's a lot of like horror like elements in it yeah where it's st- w- the way stuff is revealed it's 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 there to kind of like scare you and keep you on edge Pumped. and that kept me that that kept me going sexy the horror time. i'm sold yeah <laughs> It's it's so it's so good. That's a, basically all I'll say about it. Uh, I think it's coming out here. I think it's going to be available on VOD here real soon. Uh, so I don't know about Australia. If like, how does VOD work for Australia? Is it like it's pretty much AMG? the same? It's just different. Um, yeah, like just different. Uh, what's it called? Um, like not productions distributors. Um, okay. So like, yeah, usually I'll be able to find it through YouTube or Apple TV or something like that. Or, or uh, uh, Pirate Bay. What? Huh? It's blocked in Australia. <laughs> oh, wait, what? It's blocked in it's Australia. A... That's... It's okay, though. Uh, We've got a VPN. Yeah, VPN. Just VPN. <laughs> this this podcast is sponsored by Ex- ExpressVPN. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> give, I'm waiting for the day I get a sponsorship from somebody. I'm just... I'm waiting to be like, hey, guys, I'm a sellout. Um, thank you for watching. I know I... If you've seen like my TikTok videos, I'm surprised that Universal hasn't been like just promote Fast Ten Part Two. Uh, one like... of my <laughs> friends uh, has just started a campaign to become the official um, spokesperson for Skeleton Crew, um, which he's been obsessed <laughs> with forever. And we were at Star Wars Celebration together, and he got to see the trailer, and I was like, "How you feeling?" Um, yeah, but he was at Oz Comic Con this weekend making videos about it. You see my cat in the shadow here. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Just, the cat just wants to be a part of the show. Totally. She does, uh, yeah. But yeah, that's that that that's great. I, I just love like um, in the age of the internet, uh, the age of the internet, where you can just kind of like say, "Hey, I'm going to push to do this," like, and that then you have the ability to do that. And um, but yeah, if Universal, you're listening, uh, Fast Ten Part Two, get me get me to the world premiere. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, um, it. But the fact that you're calling it Fast Ten Part Two is. Mind blowing to me. <laughs> I think they should just call it Fast Ten Part Deux, because <laughs> the director that is uh, Louis uh, Ledier, he's uh, he's French, so it should just be like French New Wave, Fast and Furious, which would just be bu- like bazonkers. Amazing, like, absolutely bazonkers. But yeah, Sanctuary available on VOD very soon. Check it out. It is hot, raunchy, sexy, <laughs> horrific. Just everything if if I want. That, uh, everything, if that's everything you want, then you'll love Sanctuary. Um, but the last film that I watched is Missing, the follow-up film to Searching. The I'm went, I I coined follow-up this on, film on like Twitter. are they like connected? They're not connected. It's just the I'm calling. I coined this term on on uh, on Twitter. It, uh, I'm calling them the Screen series. Okay. Basically, are basically they by the same films, director? It it's. They're the. It's not the same director, but they produced it. Gotcha. Like, yeah. But uh, these films basically take place entirely on screens. Like, if you haven't seen Searching, see Searching. Searching. I haven't seen Searching, but I have heard fantastic things. It's you got to see it. You got to see it. It. It's basically just kind of. It's. It's like a. It's a heist film, kind of like in a thriller film, kind of like rolled all uh, rolled all into one. And it all takes place on screens. And the way 
like you know like the our, some of our biggest like pet peeves like when watching films and you see like a computer screen and how that it's so unrealistic on how like the, they're even like operating <laughs> like that computer yeah like here it's like they actually did it and like some of like some of the things that happen in missing where uh basically basically the whole uh, premise is that the, they they establish like this relationship between this mother and the, the this daughter and the mother gets taken captive mm-hmm. and the daughter is basically like looking back through like her her emails like getting access to emails and stuff like that and all all of like the story developments are like through the screen and it's riveting it's riveting because you you want to know like what happened to like this girl's it's mother. different too yeah like um there was a film i saw recently called spree with joe keery which also oh. like it's all filmed as if he was inside like an uber with all his cameras so it's like you're you're watching the live stream of what he's doing mm-hmm. you're not actually watching a movie about him which was a very interesting way to to deliver that story right yeah it's a uh, it's i know that because i don't yeah i don't i won't spoil it but i know like a lot of these like kind of like like found footage and also kind of like like just thriller like movies like about like people being taken captive like a lot of like the stuff that's happening in it could be like triggering to a lot of people yeah and very upsetting but after seeing missing i want to see more of these to be honest I, like i don't want to like be maybe you gotta like, make selfish. one molly maybe you gotta make one it, i i know I, maybe i should maybe i should but it's it uh all I, you I need is find... obs <laughs> I, yeah exactly you just record that's... your computer screen be like, all right, I'm just yeah. gonna like Google this girl that I really like and stalk her. Yeah, it's a short film called uh, Marley the Rizzer. <laughs> <laughs> Marley Rizzer's film. Marley loves Riz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, Missing is uh, basically just a really great thriller, mm. and like, it had me on the edge of my seat. Seat, and just like my palms are like sweating by the en- by the by the end of it. It was just like absolutely riveting really well like like really really unique and just like just being limited by like screens and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and just telling a gripping story just like that like uh but you can missing right now i believe it's on netflix at least here in the united states yeah uh so people can check that out but yeah that's pretty much all i've been watching uh but uh yeah anyways let's get into our main review and that is Coco. Well, I, I was showing you this before we jumped on stream as well. Oh. Every year, grandkids, cousins, pretty much everyone gets together. Even great grandma Coco. And the winner is Luchadora Coco! I tell her pretty much everything. I used to run like this, but now I run like this, it's just way faster. Life sounds like Miguel, eat your food. Here, have some more. No gracias. <gasps> I mean, see? <laughs> That's what I thought you said. Alright, sorry about that now. No, it's okay, I <laughs> but, wasn't expecting it, but I, I should have, because yeah. you told me beforehand that you were going to say that. Yeah, but that was from a tra- That was from the trailer from Coco, the 2017 film directed by Lee uh, Uncrunch. Uh, he also directed Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3. Uh, I'm just going to read the synopsis here from IMDb for the audience. Um, despite his family's baffling generation, generation's old band, uh, old band on music, Miguel dreams of becoming an accomplished musician like his idol, Ernesto de la Cruz. Desperate to prove his talent, 
Miguel finds himself in the stunning and colorful land of the dead, following, following a mysterious chain of events al- al- uh, along the way. He meets a charming, uh, charming trickster Hector, and together they set off an extraordinary journey to unlock the real story behind Miguel's family history. Mm. Naf. I'm gonna let since you're since you're the <laughs> since you're the birthday boy since you're the birthday boy, uh, let's. I, I just want you to gush about this film, just like just gush. Yeah, about yeah. It. Well, first I wanted to say um I got uh this steelbook of Coco, which mm-hmm. we can kind of see in the camera there, um mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite ones in my entire collection. It is, it is mm-hmm. gorgeous, and so are my nails. Um, it's a. <laughs> But this is one of my favorite ones in my collection. Thank you. Um, I did them with the intention of being fabulous. It's pride, you know. We gotta (laughs) right. Gotta show up. Happy pride. Happy pride. Which I'll I'll just say that like the last two films that I recorded, like we're doing Coco like today, for uh, it's June. It's June thirteenth, and then I just recorded RRR. Like two, they're not. They're not technically like. LGBT films, but like Coco is is essentially about identity mm. and like kind of discovering yourself and yep. kind of and coming to the coming to terms like like what you are meant to be and like having your family kind of like accept like who you are. Yeah, like I feel like there it's it's not technically an LGBT film, but I, I but it is it is like <laughs> it, it really is. Yeah, and then RRR RRR is. Two is basically just it's about a love story. two men. It's yeah, it's a love story. It's, <laughs> it's a love men. story. Yeah, it it's about two men that are okay with kind of like being being to uh, being with each other and like having like just healthy masculinity. Like yeah, healthy masculine uh, masculine relationships and it's yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that I think that um that's something that I've tried to cultivate in my like friendships and relationships as well. Like. Mm-hmm. It, if people don't think that me and my best friend are gay together, then like we're not we're not best friends. And you'll see, like from my relationship with like Kia, we are very very close. And even with my friends that are in Australia as well, I'm like I am somebody who just loves wholly. And I'm like I don't I don't really care. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was one of the reasons I really loved like you know for example like Lord of the Rings back in the day, where I was like, why is it weird to want to like hug your friends and be close to them? And just like like what like this is just it's just love and love is the same so um yeah but Sam and Frodo Sam and Frodo exactly like <laughs> yeah <laughs> um you know there were many cold nights where they snuggled up naked under those covers uh, yeah uh, to- totally <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure uh, J R Tolkien intended that for sure um, I want I want the spinoff well I remember That's... seeing that um a lot of too his rain, ideas. Too <laughs> too nice. Um, too wraith. Um, I remember seeing that his explanation of like those characters and their relationships came from the fact that like when you're at war for years, like this is this is all you have. It's just these other people around, and you kind of learn to be like, you know, do we need that from people like that kind of like just affection and like kind of like unadulterated just love. Um, but I think that you're absolutely right. Um, I also want to say. This poster on this side is not mirrored. <laughs> this is one of the most beautiful posters they've designed. It is so good. And it's like during that time when everybody was making those you remember the Noah poster? <laughs> it's like he's oh, just yes. facing backwards yes. and it's like it's epic. I'm not looking at the screen. But it just works I'm edgy. so well. I'm edgy. I'm for not... this. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, it. I was going to say that um, you're right in the sense that like it does have kind of underlying tones of like an LGBTQ film um, mm-hmm. because especially watching it this time, the most recent watch, I was like, yeah, like you can really see the that it could be, you know, you remove family and you, sorry, you remove music and put, you know, um, queerness into it and you remove mm-hmm. um, like the hate of music and you make it like a religious family. It's like, this is an experience that a lot of people have had um, where it's mm-hmm. just, this is the way things are, man. We don't, we don't live life like that. This is how life is lived. This is normal. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think the film does a very good job of very subtly touching on those points where if you want to look into it, you can see it, but not every person is going to sit down and go, oh, yeah, this is a film um, about this. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And like I feel like like it, this film is directed by Leon Critch. Like, he's not Latin American. Mm. He's not. Uh, and I feel like that's probably, like, when this movie came out, like, this is, it was probably one of, like, the criticisms towards it is that they they needed like to have like someone like from like from from that heritage to kind of like dive deep into it but like one of the interesting things is like before we started recording is like there's this article on the verge where uh, they interviewed leon critch like back in the day kind of like talking about like his experience and how he would like he was in, like filled with anxiety like of like the immense pressure of him directing like like this film because he wanted to make sure he what it was authentic yeah authentic like like latin american uh mexican like uh, like experience yeah just because uh so and pixar is also very well known for doing heavy amounts of research before starting like their film like i remember finding nemo finding nemo was they became uh, fish for like 12 months yeah, they became fish for twelve months, and also one guy like, cut his hand off just so he could figure out what it was like to swim with one smaller limb. Well, no, they. I, I remember like uh, John Lasseter. I know uh, it's kind of like common to like not like him anymore because of like certain things, allegations that that. Well, not allegations anymore. It's like I guess, like it's actual truth. Truth now, but it's it, like one of the things that he had like his team do was like basically like, like get like a fishing trip and just go out on like the water and just like experience everything, take like pictures like everywhere. And like one of the things Lee Unkrich did here is that they went to like Mexico city and lived like, like families like in Mexico and just kind of like took everything in, interviewed them. Like even like his partner, uh, Adrian Molina, uh, like he, like he's a Latin American and uh, he was able to like help him out on that. So like Pixar does like, like do like heavy research and they do have like people behind the scenes but yeah i was kind of disappointed that it like it wasn't adrian molina directing this because it yeah. feels like it was his film to direct yeah you're absolutely right uh, and it is really interesting that um and i think that often when you're watching a film about your culture or what's very close to your culture you can usually tell when somebody's just kind of like trying to fit in it's like you know when you watch a tv show these days and you can tell that it's a 40 year old man writing gen z characters yes and uh, you're are you like, referring are you referring to um are you referring to a uh, shoot uh riverdale did it idol? really bad for a while i haven't watched the idol yet but mm-hmm. i remember there were episodes of riverdale where i was like what the fuck am i listening don't, to don't right you now? don't you dare step on riverdale don't you dare uh, I, like I was, th- I was hoping you would say re- Euphoria. 
with Sam Levinson. Yeah, Sam Levinson. Right, there's a yeah, character. What can we say about him? <laughs> oh man, what a yeah. creep. Anyway, um, <laughs> I didn't feel at all that this film was just pandering to me for no reason. It felt very, very, very respectful of that culture, and it felt mm-hmm. like <laughs> every person that I've like spoken to, especially when I was younger, they're like, "You remind me of Miguel." <laughs> Like, you look like him. I'm like, guys, no! <laughs> it's not okay. Um, but, like, there aren't many films that I've just gone into and I've been like, I had a very similar experience to Miguel. Like, I was, uh, I wanted to be a musician. Um, I was in a band when I was younger. My parents were very, very um, unsupportive of that and tried to put every roadblock possible so that we weren't able to, um, you know, kind of, Uh, succeed there and I was quite young so I didn't really have a choice in that I kind of had to just deal with it I had my older brother who um he was able to sort of stick with it and he's now working in the music industry and still has you know one of the biggest salsa bands in Melbourne um Mm -hmm. and has found some moderate success and I look at him sometimes and I'm like man like I was going to be a part of that at one point but I'm not because I was kind of pushed in the other direction of like nope get out get a job you can't be out past 10 p.m., which means you can't go and do gigs. So, like, a lot of Miguel's life I really, really related to. Uh, and I couldn't believe it watching this film in the theatres when I did in 2017, just sitting there and going, like, whoa, <laughs> this is wild. So, see, what you just said there, it's, it means this is why representation is so so important on every 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 single level. Like, eat, like... I, 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 for, for me, like growing up, like I didn't re- necessarily have to see myself on screen mm. just because I don't like I, my value in film is different than, uh, than like everyone else is that I, I kind of can, I can pull things from like, uh, certain like, uh, characters in like film and be like, Oh, I can see myself there. Yeah. Stuff like that. But I understand that like, that's not everyone. Mm. And this is why like, like, like you just said, like sitting like in the theater, twenty seventeen, watching Coco, and you're like, this is like, like I'm already an adult uh, by that time. You know, that's six years ago. So I'm I'm twenty two, and this is a child, mm-hmm. and I'm going whoa. Yeah. And what I found was really interesting is I remember that when Black Panther was coming out, and people were talking about the representation in that film because that was kind of where it feels like that really took off. Um, mm-hmm. but I remember kind of being like, eh, like I don't I don't really see. I get it, you know. I, mm-hmm. I suppose I get it. Like, yeah, you should have films for you, but, like, it doesn't really matter to me because it's not for me. But it was moments like this, and particularly the Latin American representation that came across into Star Wars, which is my favourite space, that I was mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, <laughs> I get it now. And then, again, right. in terms of this, I already felt like I aligned with it. And then on the other things that we were talking about, like, between watching that when it came out and seeing it now, like, I'm... I'm queer. I'm like, <laughs> it aligns with me even more. I'm like, oh, wow. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. wild. Um, right. So, yeah, like, the, the it, it goes to show um, that you don't really know what you don't have until you kind of, like, see it. And for me, being mm-hmm. mostly, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm white passing, you know, like, I'm a little tan, but, like, when I watch Star Wars and I see Luke Skywalker, even though he's blonde hair, blue eyes, I'm still like, hey, it's me. Um, <laughs> but hey, it's a me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, like I still, you I see still Chris see myself Pratt in Star Wars. No, I'm just <laughs> How Sorry. dare you? 
Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I, I have still seen myself on screen a lot of the time. But then there was a point where I was kind of like, wow, the main one of the main characters in a Star Wars film, who's the best pilot in the galaxy, is Latino. Whoa. <laughs> um, right. There was a lot more that I was kind of like, okay, I get it now. And now I'm like, All right, I will fight for people, man. Like, you deserve to see yourself on screen. And I think similar to what you're saying, any person, like any person who's black or Latino or Asian are going to be able to see themselves within aspects of a character. You know, you're going to be able to align with, oh, that's very similar to how I was growing up. And when we talk about like the immigrant experience and particularly being a child of immigrant parents, a lot of it's the same. I've got Asian friends, Latino friends, um, like black friends that are like a lot of similar similarities in how our parents raised us, but it's not identical. So you can kind of get it by watching things like this. Um, by watching just generic films but then when something comes along that feels like it was made for you um Mm -hmm. yeah it's really difficult to disconnect from that in a way and i mean that in a positive way like why would you want to but i'm just like i'm drawn to this film beyond almost any other film and and it's it's really interesting like like we we really started getting a lot of these films that were drawn to us like like especially like millennials that started breaking into like the film industry like like and started everyone wants to tell their like, story they're like hey my parents are messed up in the head i'm gonna make an animated film about that yeah like, like my parents are messed up in the head like they wouldn't make me like make films or like be, become a musician i'm gonna just like profit off it and stuff like that it's <laughs> literally like, i'll show I'm them you, I'm, I'm gonna show i'm gonna show them you're gonna sit down in the theater you're gonna pay 15 dollars, and then you're gonna watch this and you're gonna cry your eyes out yeah because <laughs> so, because it, it was traumatic, and I cried my It's like my making my out. parents watch Encanto, um, and kind of being oh. like, ladies, gentlemen, right. you. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, the but, generational trauma has been strong with animated films for the last few years. Yeah, and Pixar has just been, they've been, I feel like they've been riding that train since since the beginning, like, to be honest, like, with, like, Coco really hit hit me strong with the, like the generational trauma, but like, even like, I like even something like toy story too. I was just like, like, like Andy, like growing up and kind of like, just kind of like forgetting like his toys and just becoming just, just becoming older and stuff like that. And just like, I don't know. It's just like, they've, they've always tugged at the heartstrings with like that, with that type of stuff. So I think toy story three was also a film that like came at like the, perfect time like mm-hmm. we were all in the space that andy was in at that time you know it's like most of us mm-hmm. that like that are millennials and pretty similarly aged you know between like sort of the mid to late 20s or early 30s they were kind of like yeah toy story growing up was like us and then feeling that kind of disconnection from your childhood and going okay like i guess i'm grown up now and that's not something that i get anymore going and sitting in the theaters and watching toy story 3 and going whoa <laughs> that was that right. was a very real moment for i think a lot of people and that's why that film yeah, stands it, above so would, many others it was the first pixar film to my knowledge that i full-on cried in mm. like 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 when they were like spoilers for toy story 3 if you haven't seen it by now like just just whatever <laughs> it like when they're all holding hands like in that fire pit yeah and i'm just like this is it's all coming to uh, coming to an end so let's go go out together and i'm just like ah. yeah <laughs> just, it was that moment where they're like little... they're trying they're trying they're trying and then it's just looking it's woody trying to get out turning around looking at buzz and buzz just being like let's just hold hands 
That's all we can do. Right. Oh, dude, I'll cry just thinking about it. <laughs> me- mean- meanwhile, there's a like a five year like a five year old kid sitting right next to me, and he's like, "What's wrong with this guy? Why is he crying in the middle of a <laughs> middle of a movie at the end of a movie about toys?" And I'm just like. You don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually talking about this. I think this is something that Coco does really, really well. Um, that mm-hmm. um, it also came in a part of my life where I was very much like, you know, I was coming out of my sort of religious childhood and really coming to terms mm-hmm. with like, what does life look like for me? You know, like, I don't mm-hmm. believe what my parents believe. Um, <laughs> am I just going to die a very sad, lonely death? I don't know. Um, and there was things about this film that even watching again that like, it handles some pretty dark subject matter. Like, how many times do you sit down and go, I'm going to watch a movie about with my kids where the enemy is oblivion. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the enemy is being forgotten about beyond anything. Uh, like, it just, I'm just done. I'm gone. Um, that is terrifying, man. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. Like, the, even, like, the... the like. Like at the very end of the like, I guess we can get into spoilers now for like Coco, but like like the end of the film, like when when uh, when Miguel like finds out that Hector was his uh, like actually like part of his family, and like you like like the whole remember me song, like I'm tearing up right now, but but uh, that, but the last like, scene with Mama you... Coco where he's sitting there and he's just like Mama Coco, remember yeah, and he's... remember your when papa. He... Right, and he's like, he he pulls out the guitar, and she like starts singing, and I'm just like, and then she reveal she reveals that like, like she's she's never for- forgotten like her papa. Yeah, and it's like, it, and I'm just like, it. Oh, it's so good. It is, and the thing with that as well is, so one of the things that this film does incredibly well is, while it may feel like it blindsides you the first time you watch it. Mm-hmm. On rewatch, you can see that it is a perfectly crafted and perfectly written masterpiece in how it divulges big plot twists. Like mm-hmm. the 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 misunderstanding subplot that exists within this film that mm-hmm. we witness through Miguel's lens, where he is so 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 sure that Ernesto de la Cruz is his great grandpa, and mm-hmm. his family's like, "What do you mean? No, like." That's not a thing. Um, and he's just like, nah, shut up. I know. <laughs> of course you guys wouldn't yeah. think that because you don't think about him anymore. So, like, of course you wouldn't. Like, they do such an expert job of having us view the world through Miguel's lens that you also can't believe that it would be anything else. So even when you mm-hmm. meet um, Hector, it's like, like, why why would you think anything else? And it's not until you go back and rewatch the movie later that... Um, you start to like see all the parts of the story, you know, like they call him chorizo and you're like, what do you, what? And then, you know, at the end with Ernesto going, maybe it was that chorizo, my friend. And you're just like, Oh, you asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. You know, a film's really great when you're just yelling, yelling at the screen. You're just like, God. God." (laughs) Well, the other thing that I think is really, um, like the, the thing that I think is fantastic is that, because of how Miguel presents the information that he's found to his uh, Mama Imelda, she she thinks exactly what he thinks, but it's just they haven't cleared off who they're going to. When he's like, my great-grandpa loved music, I'm going to go and get his blessing instead. She thinks he's going to Hector. <laughs> <laughs> 
And she's just like, you, we don't talk about that, man. And Miguel sees that as confirmation of his information. And it's just, mm-hmm. you, like, it's so expertly done. Um, yeah. And, and, and then coming back to hearing, like, Mami Melda sing for the first time and that mm-hmm. conversation between the bars and even how that's just framed and shot, you know, where you're like, Miguel is freed by his love for music and Mami Melda's still mm-hmm. trapped in that history. She's yeah. angry. She cannot let go. She's trapped behind these bars. She can't... She's, oh, <laughs> well, and even like of... when she starts singing, that that like that whole performance turns into like like a fight between mm. Dela Cruz and uh, what's what what's her name again? Uh, like Mami the, Melda. Uh, uh, I it's just it's brilliantly choreographed like yeah. between between those two because the song it's is like, fantastic she's, too. She's performing, but also kind of like kind of like fending for her life against Dela Cruz because Dela Cruz is trying to like get the photo. Uh, like the photo of Hector, like away from her, and it's just like, it's like this. This film is so beautifully animated too. Do you think it's like the like the most beautiful like like Pixar film? Well, like, I think that one of the things like that ever? it benefits from, like you know, we look at things like Toy Story three and Toy Story four in particular, pioneered change within the animated industry. You know, I remember watching a video that I was talking to um, Keeks about recently, which talks about how when they moved into the realm where they started animating things like like Toy Story 4, they now Mm -hmm. use, like, essentially, like, fake lenses within their animation programs. And, like, you have things Mm -hmm. that you previously couldn't do um, in animation that you can now do because they've kind of, like, have found a way to... What's the word? Like, um... Like, yeah, basically... reinvent? Yeah, like, reinvent, but I'm also... What's the word I'm searching for? Um... My God, <laughs> it's like like um, pioneer. Like... Yeah, more like um, they're able to uh basically create something that wasn't there before. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I suppose pioneer it in a sense, but um, like make something that exists in real life that you previously mm-hmm. couldn't do in animation. Now you kind of can. Um, it's yeah. almost like as opposed to just animating it, they're filming what they've animated. Um, mm-hmm. which is very similar to like what they do in like video game development, where you've got not just with like mocap and stuff, but, like in general, like you see when they were doing uh, The Last of Us and um, watching Neil Druckmann talk about the difference. Where in game development, if he goes, "I want a different angle," I can just adjust a little bit. I can change. I can, you know, I can basically fix everything in post. Um, and yeah, like it, it's something that you, you obviously can't do in live action, but then animation is right in between the two. It's an unlimited. It's an unlimited medium. Yeah. Like it's uh, like so, this is why this is why animation is a medium. It's a genre. It should be taken seriously. Yeah. You can tell the the exact same stories that you tell in live action. Um. To, except you can expand on it. And yeah. One of the things that I uh that kind of like uh tag along like what you said there like about like just how how you can like expand on like just like where you can put the camera and stuff like that. I feel like Pixar learned a lot from cinematography, like when they worked on Wally, because Roger Deakins was like the goat, the goat Roger Deakins. Yeah. Was, he was a consultant on that film. And one of like the things, uh, one of the things that like, like he taught them, he taught them like lighting and just like how to position the camera. And you can really see like all the films like post Wally, like the animators, like we're learning, uh, learned 
a lot from Roger Deakins and yeah. how they kind of like incorporated that into like like their future films and how they also got almost got better than Roger Deakins because of like it just like what they can do like within this medium like you just said they can place a camera like in certain areas to like like have like a certain have the audience have a certain effect like with the yeah characters. absolutely right um and one of the things that i also find just mesmerizing about um like animated films be it stop motion or computer generated um or even hand-drawn animation is that every single thing that you are seeing was intentionally placed Mm-hmm. And we talk about this in, like, for example, like shows like you know the Bad Batch for Star Wars, where it's like sometimes mm-hmm. you can watch a movie and you can go, "Is it really that deep? You know, is the intention from the director for me to see it this way?" Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it is. Maybe it was an accident. I think a lot of the time um, things are just happy accidents, and they work out. You're like you, you see um, Steven Spielberg talk about his process and how he might storyboard the night before, but he goes in early on the day looks at the set and goes, hmm, how am I going to shoot this? I'm going to shoot it like this. And he just figures it out on the day. <laughs> um, it's, it's like, with it's the animation, you've got <laughs> your storyboard, and then we're going into your animatics, and then we're going into the fully animated version, and then we're doing further passes, and we're adding particle effects, and like, it is, it's insane. And so it's so impressive that every single thing, every character in the background that has a little bit of movement, somebody worked on that. It's not just, mm-hmm. we filmed, we said extras in three, two, one, and then something happened. It's like, no, somebody went there and made that person. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think particularly when you look at something like stop motion, where it's not just you did it in a computer, but like we did it by hand, um, mm-hmm. that escalates even further. Um, exactly. And so animation uh- as a medium is just so, so impressive. Um, and mm-hmm. so to answer your question, which we kind of beat around the bush quite a bit, I think that you could argue that some films are better animated or like look nicer or more realistic depending on what you're going for. But I mm-hmm. would say that this is hands down one of Pixar's most gorgeous films. And it benefits from the fact that half of it is told in a fantasy land. You know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, Toy Story looks great, but it's in real life. He's literally inside death. <laughs> Like, yeah <laughs> inside death it's like just that. yeah <laughs> but pull that quote out please he miguel is inside death yeah. and it's just it, it like the day like hey she's a baddie bro can death. you blame her okay sorry go ahead <laughs> <laughs> but the day of the dead like sequences like really some of the most beautiful things like even like how miguel even gets there like when he picks up like his like Hector's guitar, I guess. Spoilers. It's it's, a, yeah. it's not De La Cruz, but uh, he picks up the guitar and like these flower petals like zoom around him, and it creates like this bridge. To it's like just just absolutely amazing, like what they do with color in, the, in this. Yeah, film and how, you're like, absolutely they, right. How, yeah, how they like divide like the like the the Day of the Dead like world with the with reality and how hmm. everything is kind of like popping like a little bit more like things still pop like in like the like in Hector in Hector's world but it's you can kind of see a little bit of flatness like you kind of see it like kind of like like you can you can see you you can see it's grounded that's Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say it's grounded but but I wanted to add uh, a little bit on the the story and how like it it um unpacks itself for us early on Mm -hmm. um when we start the film if you haven't gone in with like a trailer for the film and you're just sitting and watching it for the first time 
it is presenting you with a different film than when you're actually going to watch. Like from mm-hmm. the start, he's, you know, I love, this is my, my, my past, my family, blah, blah. We work as shoemakers. I love music a little bit. And then it comes out to the um, musician going, hey, kid, I asked for a shoeshine, not your life story. And we're like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> but then the way that that guy says to him, like, hey, man, you know, it's your dream. You know, like you got to, there's, there's the thing in the plaza tonight. Like you got to, you got to play. You know, like this is this is this is how it works, and we're presented with Miguel's goal isn't to go to the land of the dead and witness and learn the history of his family. He just wants to play for people, and right. you can see in those scenes early on, which I also love how they animated those, um, because they're like he's using the the correct frets to play those. Like if you watch the slow motion, you could learn the song as Miguel plays it, like. <laughs> Um, that's crazy that's 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 nuts that's crazy yeah yeah Yeah. like it's yeah it's so impressive like the way like kind of like adding on to like what you just said about like how this story like unfolds and like like re-watching this like especially like for the second time and like i'm not sure if you've seen across the spider-verse yeah like uh, or it oh yeah. yeah i'm sure you yeah I, I saw a lot of similarities to Across the Spider-Verse in this film. Like, like totally. Like, especially, like, when he goes, like, to the, like, to the, like, other uh, other world. Mm. Like, uh, and you you saw a lot of, like, just, like, who Miguel is supposed to be. Miguel is supposed to be, like, this, like, shoe, shoe shiner and just, like, kind of be like that for, like, for the rest of his life. But, un- like, Miles, like, uh, in Across the Spider-Verse, like, he... Like, like he's supposed to be like this, the certain, the, the certain Spider-Man, and like this is like, yeah, this is supposed to be like his path. I mean, yeah, those films to, are about identity to, I'm as well. I'm trying to dance, ar- I'm trying to dance around spoilers. This yeah, like, yeah, totally fair, no totally fair. But I think but, that um, what we were talking about early on about how this film is about identity, like the Spider-Verse films are that same story. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, at its core, that's that's the 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 crux of a Spider-Man story is him going, what am I meant to be? And what does that mean to me to be that? Um, but we were talking about how the film kind of presents you with a different story than where it actually goes off. And mm-hmm. it's almost like like it happens by accident, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about um, A Better Call Soul and how like Vince Gilligan in particular talks about how he doesn't see coincidence in film or TV as a negative thing, like in general. Like he uses coincidence a lot but his mindset with it has always been if there's going to be a coincidence it's not going to save my character it's going to send him deeper so the coincidence rather than going oh he got out easily because that person happened to not be there it's like no the person that you didn't want to be there is right there in front of you and now you've been busted now how are you going to get out of it and it's the same sort of thing it's like okay what am i going to do like ah there's only one guitar I can find. I'm just going to go get that guitar. They'll understand. It's okay. And it's just, mm-hmm. your family was cursed, my dude. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> it was, and, you know, you've got Miguel talking to his family going like, yeah, I took my great-great-grandfather's guitar, who he thinks is Ernesto de la Cruz's guitar, but they all know it's Hector's guitar. Like, yeah. and it just, oh my God. I just, I love that. I love that aspect of this film so much because it's just so sure of itself and it's so well-structured um, in how it delivers that information that 
until you go back and watch it a second time and you're like these cheeky fuckers um right <laughs> yeah they, like they knew all along they knew all along like where they're where they're yeah. going like with this but we were it, talking also about how pixar films have started to take um take from live action in how they they film things um mm-hmm. and one scene in particular in this film does that phenomenally and it's when it becomes like that one take pov shot when miguel walks into ernesto's party and it's like i haven't seen something like this in an animated film up to this point where you kind of have this you know, like like a, a one take that's going through and it's a bit of shaky cam. Like, it feels like they've animated it and they've done the Peter Jackson thing of, like, walking through the animation with the mocap camera and he's just filming mm-hmm. it in person. It's it's insane. And it works so well. And it's it draws you in so much because it doesn't feel as disconnected from reality as it may have previously. You just feel like, oh, yeah. If I was shooting a party scene of a kid going into the party for the first time and trying to figure out where everything is... That's mm-hmm. how I would have shot it in live action, right? And th- they didn't—they didn't feel limited, like yeah. here. They—they they just did it. They just yeah. did it because they're like, we can—we we can do this. Uh, one thing that I do like—I know we're gushing about this film, but just justifiably so. Like, just, like this film is like one of the greater films, like, like, like ever made. I the like I think the thing, like, especially on a rewatch, the thing that I struggled with, like with this film, is the second act. Is like when he is in, when he's in like the like the land of the dead, and like he's like disguising himself, and he's kind of like with Hector, but he doesn't really know. Maybe it's just because like I know who Hector is at this point, and I want the film to kind of like get going, and I'm kind of like it, I feel like the film kind of like drags a little bit. When Interesting. You're, when you're, I, I don't know if I'd agree with that. Um, and again, obviously, people's experiences are going to be their own. But I suppose the way that I viewed Pixar's storytelling a lot of the time is they very much employ the out of the frying pan into the fire kind of story. Mm-hmm. And then you get out of that frying pan and you're into another fire and you're into another one. And Toy Story 3 and the Toy Stories are like very much that. But I think that mm-hmm. particularly one of the ways that it works for me, the second act, is in how... We're kind of doing little MacGuffin chases to try and tick off, all right, I need a guitar, and then I need to get here, and I need to do that. But mm-hmm. throughout that, it's also doing some very deep world building. Like, that's obviously the... While they're looking for the guitar, you get to the space where you're like, oh, this is not as happy as the other place was. Like, it is darker here. It is slower here. It is less colorful. Um, and then we meet... Um, I can't remember his name, but... Uh, Churrasco, I think his name was? I can't remember. I think uh, so. But yeah, we meet the friend who's now being forgotten and, and Miguel witnesses for the first time, again, oblivion, right? Like what happened? He's like, he's gone. Where? We don't know. He's He was forgotten. Nobody knows him anymore. And it, it kind of just has you go like, Jesus. Such a deep and depressing, like, like the way it's animated when they mm. just disappear. Like the, they just kind of like flash. Yeah. And then they're just, they're, it's the they're just Thor gone. Ragnarok. Um, what's his name? Odin disappearing into the. Um, yeah, it's but, 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 like but, really, d- really dark for a kids' film. Yeah, dude. To be honest, but it's like... also one of those things that, as a kid, if you're watching it, you may not feel the implications of that too much. You may go, "Oh, okay, cool. Mm. He's just gone to the next place." Um, yeah. But I also love that it's it's in its world building. It's also expanding on the the story a little bit. You know, like you've got. Hector up to this point is talking about how he hates music, he doesn't care, like, you know, and, and in rewatch you go, it's because 
his life was destroyed by music. You know, he lost his family mm-hmm. and then he died before he was able to get back. Like, rough. Um, yeah. <laughs> we get to see the him thing play that he music. loves so much destroyed yeah. him. And we get so. to see him play music and we get to see Miguel's reaction to going, wait, this guy is like, he's so good. Uh, he sings, he plays, like, um, yeah. And then you get to the sort of that middle part of the middle act where we start to get more music and more songs. And man, the, the music in this film is so good. Um, so good. <laughs> we got a question over on the YouTube live chat as well from The View with Drew. And he asks, uh, he hasn't seen Coco, but he said, um, he's got a big question. What's a movie you feel gets bashed for the dumbest reason? Oh, like bashed, like just people hate it on. People hate it, yeah. Uh, well, we kind of already touched uh, touched on this, but a uh, Little Mermaid. <laughs> I feel like people hate it on that one because for like very racist reasons. Like I had people a are friend. Like... I have a friend who's a who studied as a, a marine biologist, and he mm-hmm. he was the I'm not racist, but she should be bioluminescent. And I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, she should be see through. I'm like, the crab is Jamaican. <laughs> the fish talks. I just why is that your argument? <laughs> it, it's a Disney film. It's Disney, like, it's 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 fiction. It's um, fiction. It's fantasy. It's like I could at length talk about the last Jedi. Um <laughs> <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> you just, don't have to convince me because I love the last Jedi, so Yeah, I think particularly for me, I remember having a conversation with like a work colleague where he started pulling out the scientific inaccuracies. And I was like, okay, so do you want my in-universe answer? Because if you want an in-universe answer, I have it. That fits physics. But then also, it's fucking space wizards, dude. Like, I'm sorry that the bombs drop out in space. Like, I I don't know what you want me to tell you, man. Like, there are ships in episode 5 that crash into other ships that aren't affected by a tractor beam. And it's not necessarily big enough to have a gravitational pull. It's just there. And then you've got... The, um, what's it called? The original, like the prequels and stuff where ships blow up. And what happens when they blow up? Oh yeah, they fall out of space. And they don't fall to the planet, they just fall down. And the planet's here. Like, just don't at me about physics in Star Wars. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, exactly. These these are, these are... The, these are space westerns. Space yeah. westerns, they're, they're the space cowboys. It's just like, just, just, just have a good time with it. And yeah. I don't want to get into a tangent on Last Jedi because we could we could talk for like three hours. On if this you do an episode because... on Last Jedi, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think that's in the letterbox top two fifty. Uh, it it should so. be number one. It should be number one. It, I'm it, just, I'm saying. it should be number one. But <laughs> um, but the view with Drew I, said I, it's okay if you disagree. But I think people calling Die Hard four bad because of the PG thirteen rating is dumb because Die Hard five went back to rated R and it was even worse. So no, I, I Die Hard four is the one with Justin Long, right? I've seen none of the diehards. Okay, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that's live for your diehard, and like I that, had wasn't a... that the one that had um, Captain Boomerang in it? Y- yes. To, who is Captain Boomerang again? This <laughs> just, guy. Just... I can't remember his name right now. Captain. Uh, I know it had Kevin Smith in it, and uh, like when he Jai came on Courtney. screen. The... Oh, oh, Jai Courtney. That was five. Gotcha. I uh. But uh, Kevin Smith was in four, and he was like this hacker or whatever. And like the whole. I've point seen people of talk about that hard, scene. The exposition it's, dump. It's, 
it's really it's really dumb, but it's also dumb fun too. And like, yeah. like I feel like that's like the whole point of Die Hard. And like even like I don't want to say this about Star Wars, but like Be I don't want to say it's dumb. I don't want to say it's dumb fun, but it's like you're supposed to have fun. Yeah, it's like you don't think about it like too hard about it. And I, I'll since we're on Last Jedi just a little bit, I'll just like say like my piece a little bit with that is that some of the arguments that I've had. It, like they would always bring up uh, uh, Mark Hamill's like why Mark Hamill hates the last, the last Jedi because everything about his character happens off screen, and I feel like that's the like the problem, especially like in the world of film criticism now, is that you either you, it's either you overexplain and the movie is bad, or you underexplain and the movie is bad, mm. and it's like it's it, it there's like there's no there's no middle ground. I personally like it like when films underexplain because that allows me to kind of like be more creative and kind of like think of like like uh, why is why is Luke like acting like the way he is why yeah. is like uh, why, even like in something like Coco like w- like wh- why is like Miguel like like what was his love for music like why did he love music like so much it, like it, like obviously like the film like ex- explains that but I was just trying to tie it back like yeah no I think you're about, absolutely but, right. And I think that we actually talked about this in the most recent episode of One with the Films. Uh, shameless plug. Mm-hmm. Um, we <laughs> talked about um, like an, a Western remake of a foreign film. And one of the big things is the difference between the two is one of them is very, very clear in its outcome. And it goes, this was the bad guy. This was the good guy. This is how the film ended. That's the Western mm-hmm. version. But Infernal Affairs very much kind of leaves you to... like, I wonder what it must be like to live with this afterwards. Like, this is... like. There's more conversation there, and it's funny mm-hmm. that like um like foreign cinema is more inclined to let you sit with something, and go, mm-hmm. you take whatever you want to take away from this. It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about how we also did an episode on Legend, and I watched the European cut of Legend, and it's a lot more like open, for lack of a better word. Like it's a lot less like exposition dump heavy. And when they screened that for Western audiences, they didn't like it, so they went back and reshot stuff, and they put, like, a text crawl at the start, and the ending is much more closed off, and it's like, yeah, good guy, bad guy, blah, blah. But, yeah, it's something that is, is more common in, in foreign cinema. Why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because... White people I, I, are dumb. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, it... it... I it's, I wouldn't say dumb. No. I would say that that Western audiences are more spoiled than audiences, like, overseas mm. just because the media that we get especially now like we're so used to having something like at our fingertips yeah and the way media is like i i don't know because i haven't been outside like the states but from what i hear is that like 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 the like the filmmaking like business is like like, like it's profitable like like in other countries but it's nothing like hollywood yeah like hollywood is like hollywood major, is a machine like, major yeah, Hollywood like ho- Hollywood is like a machine, and like other countries, it's like they pump money into it, but it's usually like they get like one or two great films like a year, and everything is it's kind mm. of like everything is kind of like fine. Like, is, yeah. is, would would you agree with that or just? I, I absolutely would, um, and I would say mm. that I don't think that filmmakers would often come to the table going, "I want to make a film that spells everything out for my audience," mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't think that's the case. I think that a lot of the time. Um, particularly your non-A24 studios um, mm-hmm. will 
very much be focused on how can I make the most profit possible? But then your more indie studios will be like, I just want to make the best film possible. Um, and when you're trying to make the most profit, you need to cater to a very wide audience um, mm-hmm. where the amount of people that are interested in watching a film with the expectation that I'm going to, like, I want to think about something. I want to be questioned. I want it to, yeah, have me question my my morals, my my everything is a lot less than the people who want to just use it as an escape and just go and have a couple of hours where they have a bit of fun. Um, so yeah, like it's not necessarily that um, white people are dumb. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's just that there's, there's a very We're wide spoiled. audience. <laughs> um, and yeah, like when you're trying to meet the widest target demographic possible, you need to simplify your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And just like Amer- just Western audiences, but just being obsessed with like box office too. On how like I think like one of the most the one of the things like I hate the most, especially like on social media and how like you always see like box office numbers like oh it made sixty million that means it's a flop. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like just because like it came in under budget or it ca- like just because it didn't like make make back its money it doesn't mean like it's a bad movie. Yeah. It's because it, it, there's multiple reasons why it didn't like make its money back. Uh, like it could be like poorly marketed or just like the, the fact that like streaming services just I mean, just push out movies like like uh, just like a like a, like a t-shirt cannon they just yeah. fire like movies out just like crazy and people just forget about it. We and that, that's talking about um, we were talking about the Woman King just before and that's one mm-hmm. that like was a box office flop um mm-hmm. to my understanding i haven't actually looked at the numbers but my understanding is that it didn't do well um mm-hmm. but it was awesome like it was incredible yeah. um but it's one of those things where like i guess maybe the studio didn't know how to market it effectively and now we're here you know it's like you right. have there are so many films that have become cult classics um again i mean even look back in the day um it's been like blade runner that like flopped originally and then it wasn't until re-edits and re-releases later that it became a, a cult classic and they were like, oh no, there's a real version of this film that I can watch that is great. Um, Blade Runner 2047? 2049. 2049. Yeah, Blade Runner as well is another mm-hmm. one, like like 20, 2049, is another one that was a box office flop, but it is a mm-hmm. brilliant film. But it's also not going to be for everyone. And it is, again, it's not foreign cinema, but it's coming from a, a French director. Um, in Denny. Yes. Yeah, um, Denny. And so he has a different, um, what's the word? Like he's presenting that film through a different lens and mm-hmm. through his lens and French cinema is beautiful as well. Um, so you do get a very different experience. For sure. For sure. Uh, yeah, uh, th- totally. But like kind of like going a little bit back to like Coco mm. and like having like, like a different, like, like a, a experience is that, uh, you kind of had like this, like a pretty much a, like the same experience, really. Like for you, Naf, like like even though like it is like directed by Lee Unkrich, like 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 I don't want to put him down by saying this, but like he is white, but he is like directing like a film. I don't about... want to insult you, but you are white. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Clip but uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just like. It shows, like, if you do your homework, like, with Coco, like, it, like the film can still turn out, like, 
like decently well yeah. and like have like the right people like behind the scenes i have watched some video essays on this um because yeah it is interesting to go okay why does this film feel like it was not made by a white person <laughs> um yeah. and it it was uh and it, it goes to show that yeah like they put a lot of effort into that like they went and lived in that space they went and experienced day of the dead and not just like going mm-hmm. and watching it and going oh it's pretty that's all i'm gonna take away from it like they understood the culture so deeply um mm-hmm. that it, it it doesn't feel like pandering when you're watching the movie it feels like again if i'd never looked up the director i would have assumed this was made by a latin american man right unlike uh, unlike uh like i just watched indiana jones and the temple of doom yeah in anticipation for like the newest one i won't say the fifth one because there will always be three films in my eyes but that film like it's directed by steven spielberg and you can totally tell it's directed by steven spielberg because some of the things that like some some of the things that happen like what you just said in in that movie is just very shocking Mm. like that steven spielberg directed like this film just belittling like south asian like and south asian like and it's like indian like people yeah and the fact that like i was making like this joke but it's 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 i wish it was a joke because that would mean it wasn't didn't actually happen the fact that steven spielberg made temple of doom and then got hired on to make the color purple like right after it is is shocking very shocking like well, it's I don't interesting know. too it's because like... when you look at both sides of the coin you've got him mm-hmm. arguably not handling um aspects of temple of doom very well but when you give him something that is deeply ingrained in his culture like schindler's list um mm-hmm. he it's perfect <laughs> like, yeah it's ex- exactly <laughs> like it's it just goes to show that it's like not necessarily like a, a mentality of like stay in your lane, right? Because I think people should be allowed to explore and express however they like. But like, mm-hmm. arguably, when you give someone something that they know so well, they're gonna do a great job with it. Like, they're gonna do the best job possible. I think I was watching a, a video on um on YouTube Shorts the other day, and it was Denzel Washington talking about that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks about like the culture behind a film, and there's something that you kind of you have to know. Um, that just comes across. I think that's something that's quite common in um, even watching like films that, like for example, like Ryan Coogler directs or um, like Spike Lee's stuff. Um, mm-hmm. That is very like core to like the the black experience. That it's like it like you couldn't have somebody else tell that story. You couldn't have Steven Spielberg go in and direct do the right thing. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. I to be to be honest, I would kind of like to see that film. <laughs> <laughs> to see what Steven Spielberg would do with it. Uh, just look, as like, I don't want Steven Spielberg value. to do it. If we were going to do that, I would put J.J. Abrams there. <laughs> speak like, all right, J.J. Abrams, <laughs> let's see what you can do. Give me Black Klansman. Just lens flare just everywhere. That's, just, that's what it is. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh, man. Uh, um, but uh, we were talking about um, also the, the film sort of starting to dip in, in its second act a little bit. And mm-hmm. I, like I said, I found that with the way that it, the, the, the second act is sort of beginning as you're getting into this new world where you've already been mm-hmm. explained the first part and now I've been introduced to this other part of the world. And I can definitely understand where you're coming from with the mentality of like, because I know where it's going, I kind of want to get there now. But mm-hmm. for me, I'd found that because I'm always so immersed in what they're trying to show me that... Mm-hmm. 
it still works for me and it doesn't actually um, dip in my enjoyment at that part at all. I'm still, maybe because I relate to the movie so much, I'm still like a wide-eyed child sitting there and going, wow, so that's what death feels like. (laughs) (laughs) So death is so colourful and just like, and so inviting and I'm just like... I'm ready to go, baby. when, when I said that it dipped, like, in the second act, I think that was a little bit too harsh. Just uh, just because, like, I was still having, like, a good time, like, with Coco yeah. at that point. It was just, like you, like you just said, it's just, like, I w- know what was going to happen next. And I was just kind of, like, I, I was kind of, like, expecting, like, uh, it to happen, like, sooner. Mm. Like, him, like, Coco to, uh, or Miguel to actually, like, find out. But, uh, yeah, I... Like it's not like a dig on the film at all. Like I still rated this five stars. <laughs> and, and I, I, we need to get like that 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 rating up for Coco. So it's yeah. in the top to, top two fifty again. So that's actually so heartbreaking that it tipped out of yeah. it. Yeah, it's it, uh, it, it will come back. It will come yeah. back. I think it's just because Spider Verse. Everyone's just loving that, and it well, shot right to number one. Spider Verse was so literally it's... number one on Letterboxd. I saw that the other day. I was going to make a video about it on TikTok, and then I was like, nah, I won't. And then I come across another video that had like 500,000 likes, and I was like, damn it. <laughs> and now I can't feel, I don't feel like I can make it because I feel like I'm stealing someone else's content now. Even though I had the idea before I saw that video. Just do it. Just do it. That's, yeah. that's, what, I, that's, that's what I've come to terms. Even though if you've seen it done before, just, just do it. Because even if you didn't see it, it's been done before. Mm. So... The only thing that's stopping you now is because you saw it. That's true. So just just do it. Just do it. Like what Nike says, just do it. But <laughs> um, I know we've kind of been bouncing around like a lot, like just talking about films. But we're 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 real lovers. So just <laughs> we're real but, lovers, uh, and we're real lovers. Y- yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy Pride. Mario. Pride. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I love it here. I love it here. Even, even in the land of death. Even in the land of death. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Nice. Uh, but one thing that I would like to talk about with this film a little bit is I had mentioned before that, like the music itself. Like, mm-hmm. I like I know all of these songs back to back. I've watched the film in English. I've watched it in Spanish. <laughs> um, I've watched the um, the live production where Miguel had kind of like aged up to the point where he couldn't sing his songs anymore so they got his little brother to come in and sing the songs for him so they got oh, that's adorable. <laughs> miguel's actor's little brother to play him on the live action one that's on disney plus um keep it in the keeping in the family yeah but keep like it... ben bratt sings his own songs miguel's actor mm-hmm. who i can't remember his name right now um sings his own songs as well so like it's mm-hmm. it's very impressive mm-hmm. I, yeah it's like i think that's it's a it's very impressive like when you can get like actors like like being authentic with like their characters and like kind of like singing along with it because like when when you can tell like especially in musicals when songs are like dubbed in yeah and it just doesn't feel right and particularly the disney renaissance era that was a thing you know like you didn't have Mm -hmm. the actors singing and now you've got most of these films like even if you look at like encanto as well like the entire cast is singing their own songs you go to the the what was it the is it the tonys and they're doing a um a live action production of it and they've got Stephanie Beatrice there singing in person. You're like, Oh mm-hmm. yeah, nah, it's, it's her. <laughs> right. That's, uh, it, it's, it's great. Um, but, um, it, going back like to the songs, I, I, I feel like we have to talk about, like we have already, we talked about it a little bit, but remember me mm-hmm. on just like what the, when the, what that song means at the beginning of the film, how it's supposed to be like this, it's very uplifting, like, 
like song yep. and the, like the way De La Cruz kind of goes out like the, like he wants to be remembered. But the what he, what's Hector when you find out that Hector like wrote all of all, all of the songs and you find out what remember me was that who who it was, was actually bastardized was... by the colonizers. Just saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um but you're right. Like, it was, the, it the was context... bastardized by capitalism. By Literally, capitalism. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the context, or not the context, but yeah, the implications of that song early in the film and everybody going, this is the best song ever. And then, yeah, just knowing that Ernesto has come, he's killed Hector and then taken his song and just kind of like, it's 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 not right, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but even you've got little things throughout the film where... Um, that song and how it's been presented and how everybody knows it has upset Hector so much that he now hates that song that was mm-hmm. a uh, a ballad of love for his daughter and his family who he could no longer see. Like, mm-hmm. like this person has ruined that song for this man. And even when um, they're going to perform um, at the, like, you know, in the in the plaza, and Miguel's like, I'm, I'm going to do Remember Me. And uh, Hector's just like, like, nah, don't do that song. That song sucks. And he's like, okay, Boca Loco. And he's like, that's the song. And it's like, he he wrote the song. Like, of mm-hmm. course he's going to know it. Like, yeah. Um, that aspect of the stories. Like, again, it's, it's, it's presenting it to us through Miguel's lens. So until you go back and rewatch it again and you look at the animation on, like, Hector's face as he's going, nah, not that song. And you just, you see pain <laughs> that mm-hmm. you don't see the first time you're watching it. You're just like, oh, of course he doesn't like it. It's like he's playing it smart because he knows if you play the popular song, you're not going to stand out. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's like he, his Hector's legacy got sold out, like Mm. literally got sold out. And I, I, and I feel like as like, we're both artists. I feel like, like when we have something that we've created and someone else comes along and kind of like, does like a, like a weird, like, like copy of it or like edit of it. And like, we, we in a way we're kind of like oh i don't really want to like do this anymore like yeah. this is like it's it's not it's not like it's not a part of us anymore and like like when that when i saw that like happen on screen i like i felt that cuz it's like like cuz uh, as an artist uh, like like you uh, artists kind of like have like this one to one like feeling like for each other because we're all kind of like going through like the same like motions despite like of like how 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 we grew up like artists kind of like have like that same uh like we, we all kind of like experience depression in some sort of way and just yeah. kind of like and just like how, how we create we kind of experience in in pretty much like the same way and it's like seeing like hector just kind of like crushed on like the song that he wrote for like his sister just kind of just being just just like a hack just being hacked was just like it it, it broke my heart and just just like it like i, I felt that yeah felt that. No, you're absolutely right. And it's, again, it's yeah. like one of those things that until you watch the movie for a second time, you kind of, you don't, like, they're all his songs. All these songs are his <laughs> songs. Um, Ernesto had a good voice, but he wasn't the artist, you know? He was the performer. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. And it was kind of like, like, I know that there's kind of like this, like with Elvis too, like a lot of Elvis songs weren't technically his because yeah. that was what, that was the big thing about like Boz Lerman Elvis was that like he stole a lot of like the, like the sound of music, like from black, from black artists. 
and the fact that he profited off that, it was kind of like Dela Cruz was kind of like like that that it was he was basically like the the Elvis for like for 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 like this universe and yeah. like it's it, it it's heartbreaking like when you see that happen mm. but um but yeah um yeah uh, anyways um do we have any like final thoughts on like Coco well, like just I think like that, altogether. Um... Like, obviously, it is one of the greatest Pixar films ever made. And I could talk about mm-hmm. this film for, like, four hours. Um, <laughs> but one of my favourite things is that um, every, like, kind of main character in this film has their own arc a little bit, right? And mm-hmm. every single character that connects with Miguel learns something from him, and he learns something from them. And it's not very often that you come across a story that's, again, so well-structured, so well-told, in the sense that even towards the end, you've still got Mama Imelda going, um, go back, you're not going to play music. And it's until he shows her what music means for her that she can then mm-hmm. finally let go of that. And she's seeing you know, the love of her life going to disappear in front of her and going, okay, like, no conditions. Like, go, do whatever. And the way that that culminates in the ending because that could be the climax of the film you know it could very much be kind of sad like it's all good go and he goes home and he just kind of does whatever from there but the fact that the mm-hmm. film still continues for another what 20 minutes post that of mm-hmm. him going home mama coco waking up and then the year later and the song at the end that just ties it all together is so beautiful because um, mm-hmm. i think that's another thing that the film does great where we get the year later and we're back on dia de los muertos and mm-hmm. You've got Mama Imelda and Hector, and they're there together, and you're like, oh, that's beautiful. And the camera just pans mm-hmm. to the side, and Coco's there too. And there's a, a sadness there, because you're like, she died. Like, she's dead now. Right. But it's a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to cry t- thinking about it, where it's just like, watching her wake up and sing the song with Miguel, and watching her daughter... um like witness that and 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 experience that is just it's so powerful um and even just that moment where miguel thinks he's failed and his dad is like why have you done this we were looking for you everywhere and he just turns around and just cries and i'm just like man like it's it's very similar to that moment in toy story 3 of it's over we don't have anything let's just hold hands it's done Mm-hmm. And imagine the trauma that would have had on that kid if he wasn't able to fix that at that point. Like, oh my god! Right, especially everything that he's went through. Like, yeah, all everything that he knows, and then like he knows all this, but like his family doesn't. Like, and even if even if he were to tell his family, his family wouldn't t- technically believe him. They'll be like, yeah. "Oh, you just hit your head. You just hit your head, and like you saw, and you you Which saw." Maybe Hector, he did. Like, maybe he did. <laughs> but well, he, yeah, he went on a but, trip. Um, I think what what you what you just described about like Hector kind of like rediscovering like his love for like uh for um what's her name again the Imelda uh Imelda uh is Imelda uh, Imelda (laughs) okay but uh I I I love that where you can rediscover each other's love like in the afterlife and I'm just like such a beautiful like I, I'm crying right now. <laughs> Just yeah. like it's 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 so beautiful. The one thing, the one issue that I have with the ending, it's kind of funny. It, don't don't worry, it's kind of funny. Is Dela Cruz obviously is like he's like he's hated now because he he killed he murdered someone. Really, he he 
he he murdered someone. Everyone knows now, but he still has a statue, <laughs> even though it says "Don't remember me." Just, yeah, just burn it down. <laughs> yeah, just just burn it down. Don't have a don't even like say his name or anything like that. It's yeah. just like it's like having the the Confederate statues up and being like, "We need to remember our history." <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. It's exactly um, like yeah. That. No, you're right. Like... Um, I remember. I, I think that that's something else. Um, that. I think the film does really well is watching the villain get their comeuppance outside of just we won, but like mm-hmm. not just we won, but you lost as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's so well done. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that it fits his character of, you know, them being able to just, let's just put the camera on and just film and watch him drop a child from a tower. <laughs> like, of course the people were going to turn on him. And then the, um, that what's the word? The poetry of him hitting the bell and the bell crushing him again is just mm. right. Close yeah, on it's the like loop. yeah, like, it's close, like the end like, of the Departed <laughs> when you see. Uh, have you seen the Departed? Uh, not in a really long time. Gotcha. Like spoilers for the Departed. Just um, people, but yeah, it's that that thing, final so. scene of um, Matt Damon coming home and Mark Wahlberg being in the apartment and going and then just leaving and you're just like, oh, I, I could have survived <laughs> without that ending. But like, there's something satisfying, and like he got he got his, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's great um, to see that in film sometimes. I think sometimes we were actually talking about it on that podcast episode. We were like, it might seem a little silly to close that loop, but like, sometimes you just go, "Yep, that was the right call." And I think that that was right. very much the case with this film. So he went he he went out with the bell ringing the bell, and yep. then he went out again ringing the bell. But yeah, enough. I could talk with you about Coco and about films like all day. You're a lovely human being. I I love you to death. Um, But we should start wrapping up. Uh, Naf, where could people find you online? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're watching us live uh, on YouTube, you can stay on this channel. (laughs) That's got all of our episodes (laughs) there. Um, The One with the Films podcast is available on demand anywhere you find your podcast. So Spotify, uh, Apple Music, all that kind of stuff. And we've got a bunch of episodes there. Um, that again recommend that you watch the film before you listen to the podcast because we dive into deep mm-hmm. spoilers but it will give mm-hmm. you a lot of films to add to your watch list um, and you can also find that watch list on uh, Letterboxd too um, the best place to find me is if you go through Instagram or TikTok at On Second Thought there's the little uh, linked what do you call them? Link tree. Link trees, that's what it was yeah. uh, that mm-hmm. has all of the places you can find me I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube I'm on um, Twitter um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's got links to our YouTube channels and to uh, the podcast as well, where you can find where we're doing most of our stuff. Um, yeah. that, that's a bit. Yeah, and, and thank I'll, you so much course... again for um for inviting me on, particularly to talk about this film. I know we were trying to plan a film to talk about, and when the second mm-hmm. this one came up, I was like, "That's the one." And it was maybe six right. months ago we talked about this coming up. So, um, exactly. very very glad we finally got to do it. And yeah, I would I'm, love I'm... to be back if you'd have me again. Yeah. Um... I would love to have you back anytime. Like you can come back on for Umberto D that we're going to be, that's the next film that we're going to be watching like on the Letterbox series. Cool. Uh, but um, I haven't seen it. It's going to be a first time watch for me. I it's haven't in the heard Criterion. of it. So. It's in the Criterion collection. So for okay. anyone listening, that's the next film we're going to be watching, but you can follow me anywhere. Letter- Letterbox, Twitter, Instagram, at TikTok, YouTube at Marley loves film by Hash, it's mirrored. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My username, Marley Loves Film. That's pretty much everywhere. I locked that up. I feel pretty. I, I feel really proud for locking that up. 
Yeah, like, I thought that, I had a good would... name until I tried different social platforms, and I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, that that's... To be honest, Marley Loves Film took years and years for me to like come up with this name because every single thing that I, I plugged into like Google, uh, someone else had it, like yeah. Real Lovers Podcast, and I was just like... When when Real Lovers was 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 there and there was no other podcast call, called that, I was just like, you know what? Go on the Google domains, buy everything up, and I'm just like, lock it in, lock it in yeah. now. Wait, so that was like, us with uh, one with the films as well. Where I kind of like came up with the name and I was like, Keegan, we can call it this. And then we started looking mm-hmm. it up and there was nothing. And I was like, it feels, I don't know, like we're Star Wars fans, one with the Force, like I, mm-hmm. one with the films. Like it just feels like it was right, and I I couldn't believe that it was not taken. Right. Uh, but yeah, you can uh, follow me everywhere like where, where I mentioned. You can listen to this podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, we were there. Uh, follow us on socials. You see it at the bottom of the screen if you're watching here on YouTube. And um, yeah, uh, I, I'm Marley Silverbrand for the Real Livers podcast. And I'm Naf. <laughs> <laughs> for the Real Lovers podcast today as well. Yeah. <laughs> and keep watching films.